Thank you, Ben. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. Uh, we thank you for <clears throat> the opportunity to gather uh, around your word and to hear from you. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning. Uh, we ask that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say and how you want to lead us. We thank you uh, for the truth of the gospel that we have sung, <clears throat> that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, as we heard, as we've uh, read before many times, that it, it reminds us of that. Uh, that your spirit reminds us of that and your spirit guides us and points us to what is true of us and to how you want to lead us. And so I, uh, we pray for that, op- the, that openness to your word today. Would you take just a moment to ask the Lord to speak to you from his word this morning? Lord, we thank you that you are good and faithful and true and in control. May we trust you with all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is, uh, as Courtney said, good to be together this morning and great to worship the Lord with one another um, as a church body. And it is um, probably for most of you now and um, likely most of you have heard about what we announced last week, which was a transition um, for me and my family as we will be taking steps of faith to a new mission in Colorado. And um, as I said, uh, as and have been saying, is this was not something we were looking to do. There was not a, um, a desire to move, a desire to transition, and that's what in many ways has made this so hard uh, because we love you and love this church so much. Uh, that has um, been uh, so challenging. And uh, so as we um, <clears throat> have announced last week and, and encourage you, if you haven't gone um, to, if you weren't at the meeting or haven't listened to the video, I'd encourage you to do that um, as we kind of walk through the processes and what's happening. But, uh, but as I said, I, I was not looking to change, but we feel like God has called us to something. Um, and in that, what comes with that is a sense of anticipation and excitement for what God has called us to. Um, and yet, at the same time, what this process has been, as I shared, has been one of sadness and mourning, uh, a process of walking through fear and um, instability and, and that vulnerability that comes with something like this, as well as just a recognition that this is difficult and hard. Um, and so, one of the questions that I've been asking a lot over the last uh, few weeks has been, where is the place for faith in the midst of that? Where's the place of faith in the midst of sadness? Where's the place of faith in the midst of, of fear? Where's the place for faith in the midst of things that are difficult? Uh, and I think there's something in us, if we're honest, that thinks that those things shouldn't go together. Think, well, maybe, you know, faith and sadness are mutually exclusive, that we shouldn't be sad. We should just be full of joy and, and walking it out in faith. Or, or the sense that, that faith and, and, and actual fear of, of what might come uh, shouldn't coexist. Or this idea that, in a sense, you know, faith and difficulty, though we would never say it, really shouldn't exist. That God wouldn't call us to something hard. Uh, and if we're honest, I think many of us may feel that way. Um, and for us, it can't be that God would call our family to something sad or fearful or hard, 
or for us as a church family. It could be like, God wouldn't call our church into something that, that could be sad or, or fearful or hard. But um, the reality is we know that's not true. Um, in these last number of weeks, walking through the book of Nehemiah, we have seen over and over again that that's not true. Uh, and I've said, as, I, as I've said, it's funny, Nehemiah would not have been the book I would have picked to probably walk through this. Um, and yet, um, God has used Nehemiah as such an interesting guide um, through this. Because Nehemiah is written like a journal. It's written in first person. You just heard part of it. It's written like a journal of, of all that he was going through, all that he was experiencing, how he was going uh, to move forward and what God was calling him to do. And God interrupted Nehemiah. Nehemiah was up in Susa. He was working in the palace and God interrupted him and called him to trust in the Lord through something that was sad and fearful and difficult. And today I want to remind us that God interrupts us sometimes. Um, in fact, often, those interruptions that he does in us bring sadness or fear or difficulty. It tends to be the way that God often grows our faith, grows our depth in him through those emotions. And so he invites us into more faith, I think, in the midst of those emotions. And now this is not just about what my family and what God's doing. And this is not just about what our church family is walking through in this season. This is for all of us. That God interrupts us and he calls us to trust him in the sad, in the fear, and in the hard. Now, what we typically do when things are like this is we, we have a couple of tendencies, right? When we have a tendency to shut down, just, you know, shut it down. Um, I don't think I've ever made that sound before. Uh, we have a tendency to rage, some of us. <clears throat> a tendency to numb out on our numbing agent of choice. We have a tendency to suppress it, act like this isn't happening, or run from it and quit. Um, but what does God call us to do in the midst of those things? To trust, to act, to continue to be a part of what he wants us to be a part in his kingdom and his mission. And so, like I said, Nehemiah is, a, is written in the first person. We see his processing. We see his sadness. And today I want to go back a little bit and see it again through this kind of lens of, of his journal, uh, of walking through what Nehemiah was thinking, feeling, and, and experiencing as he trusted God in the midst of these things. And so the first thing I want us to notice is that Nehemiah responded in the midst of sadness. This book starts with immense sadness. And so the first thing I want to see is that he had faith while mourning, uh, look in the beginning, you just go back with me to, to how this book starts in chapter one, verse three. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Remember, uh, Nehemiah is in Susa. He is working for the king. He's in the palace and he is himself a Jewish person, but he's not in Jerusalem and hasn't been for a long time. But he hears what's happening in Jerusalem and look at how he responds, verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His immediate reaction to hear that his homeland is in devastation and that God's people are not flourishing as they are called to be and as God had intended them to, his first response is to bring that to the Lord and, and, and to seek the Lord and to fast and to mourn and to pray 
And in the midst of that, he prays, we get his prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And his prayer is that God would use him uh, to accomplish his purposes. Look, jump down to verse 11. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's what he's saying, that, that God would use him in an effort to reach the king in order to allow the people of God to flourish. And so what I love about this is he has this massive interruption to his life. And it's a sad interruption. But in his sadness, he does not shut down. He does not suppress it. He prays. He brings his real emotions to the Lord and he moves forward in faith. And he says, God, use me in this way. And grief is a, is a normal part of being a human. Uh, we grieve all kinds of things. If you've been watching the news this weekend, we are grieving what's happening in Israel. Uh, we're grieving uh, the sin in our own life. We're grieving the sin that's been done to us. We're grieving the, 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 that there is disease and poverty and pain and death. We grieve that things are not the way they were supposed to be. That's a normal part of being a follower of Jesus is that we are not home yet. We grieve with hope for what God will do. And grief does weird things to us. Uh, the stages of grief that people talk about, I've read there can be up to nine, but the primary ones are five. Anger, bargaining, denial, depression, acceptance. Um, in some ways, you kind of wish you could just walk through all of those in order and then be done. Acceptance. But it's like a spiral and it doesn't always go in the same order. And oftentimes you're like, what is this emotion? Oh, it's grief. It's connected to grief. And like I said, grief is a healthy emotion. Um, we have experienced all of these emotions as a family, as we are grieving uh, this transition, as we are grieving the loss of uh, everyday participation in this church that we love. We're grieving the loss of proximity to friends and family, uh, not only Mandy and myself, but also our kids. We're grieving the loss of ministry partners that have become dear friends. It's grief, and it's really really weird. Uh, somebody sent me this <clears throat> deal that showed our bodies and it showed all the things that grief does to your body, like um, fatigue, lethargy, brain fog, difficulty breathing, appetite changes, stress, headaches. I was like, thank you for sending me this encouraging word. Um, it sounds lovely, doesn't it? <clears throat> but this is uh, part of how we function in grief. And it does this to our body. And the Bible gives us this beautiful gift when it comes to grief of lament. There's more, there's more lament psalms than any other kind of psalm. We don't really talk about that much, but lament is so important for us because we bring our sadness to the Lord. Again, we don't shut down. We don't stuff it. We don't suppress it. We bring it to the Lord. And what I love about what Nehemiah does is he, he prays, he prays. He laments, he brings his emotion to the Lord, but then he steps up in faith. He looks around and says, what can I do? What can I do to accomplish the mission that God has before me? He's not, again, pushing it down or avoiding it, but he's moving forward. He's not letting it shut him down. And I think we have a tendency, as I said earlier, to think sometimes that the sadness can't be normal where everything's happy. That's kind of the way our, our world works right now. And so we go, ah, something must be wrong if we're sad, but, but God might invite us to even grow that much more in the midst of sadness. And some of us may be sad today, whether it has to do with what's happening here or not. 
And mourning is right and it's good. And it is for us a room to worship and lament and trust and pray while we are sad. And while we do all that, we also continue to work for his purposes while trusting him. And so he brings his sadness to the Lord. We see that in the beginning of the book. He, he is heartbroken over what is happening in Jerusalem and he brings his sadness to the Lord. He laments, but then he says, God, use me. I wanna be a part of what you want to accomplish here. And so not only does he have faith while he's mourning, but he also has faith while he's afraid. Uh, we had this as a part of the reading <clears throat> that's been read. Uh, that he comes to the king. Remember, he's the cupbearer to the king. So he, he has a job where he sees the king more than almost anybody. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Remember, this is his journal. He says, then I was very much afraid. Now, is this legitimate fear? I mean, before the king? Yes. Because his job is to make sure the king is not poisoned. And so when the king says, what is wrong with you? I see something on your face. He immediately has fear. And, and is fear okay? Is fear legitimate? I mean, perfect love, as we saying, does cast out all fear. So many times the Bible says, do not fear. But I think there's something in us that we also have to recognize legitimate fear in that moment. He has that fear before the king. The king could say, I don't trust you anymore. You're out. And just like with sadness, I think we have a tendency to think that God would not call us into something where there may be fear. He could have easily said, oh, I feel afraid. Maybe God doesn't want to use me to build the wall. Maybe God doesn't want me to go before the king. I'll just abandon the mission. But even while being terrified, he trusts in God. And he, as we heard in the reading, he says, here's what I'm asking you, King Artaxerxes. Now, fear is <clears throat> oftentimes a little masked by a lot of other stuff. Maybe it feels more like insecurity or instability or vulnerability. Uh, talk about instability. He's asking the king who made an edict to stop building this city, to reverse that edict so that this city could be rebuilt and that God's people could flourish. So he, he is walking into a very unstable situation. And he's afraid at this point, but this would not be the last time he's afraid. As we saw last week uh, in chapter four, when the opposition comes against him, as Jared pointed out, when Sanballat and Tobiah, these sort of enemies of what God wants to do, they come up and they try to seek confusion and ruin the efforts and building the wall. Uh, I love it, what Nehemiah does. He prays and then he sets up guards. I, I love the combination of those two things. We see this over and over again in Nehemiah. He prays, he prays. It's usually like one little word. He prays and then he sets up guards to make sure that the people, that the wall they have spent all this time building about halfway up at this point is not destroyed. And in the midst of legitimate fear, what does he do? And, and uh, we looked at this last week, but chapter four, verse 14, Nehemiah says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. What does he say to do? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. What do we do in the face of legitimate fear? What do we do when things are unstable or vulnerable? He, he tells us we remember the Lord. We remember his faithfulness, remember his sovereignty, remember his compassion, remember his love. Therefore, we can trust in him. It goes back, it's just, we pray, we remember him, but then we also, he says, fight for one another. 
Just like we pray and set the guards, we pray, we remember God's faithfulness, and when we fight for one another, there's something here that I think we need to learn in the midst of fear. In the midst of fear of instability, in the midst of fear of the future, we go, I'm going to continue to focus on seeking the Lord and praying, but I'm also going to set up guards. I'm also going to make sure that, that I'm setting up protection against opposition, that I'm going to fight for one another, that we do that together. We have to trust and be vigilant. We have to pray and we have to prepare. This is what we're called to do in the midst of fear. Our family obviously is walking into all kinds of instability and vulnerability and legitimate fear. I've never done ministry in a place like that. And if you read my journal, like Nehemiah's journal, it's full of lots of fear for the future. Um, Legitimate fear. And yet we are called to remember the Lord, his faithfulness, his sovereignty, his compassion. At the same time, we're called to set up protections and say, how how do we prepare and protect our life and our family and ministry? And it's the same thing for us as a church. That in the, it could be very easy to say, oh, I'm fearful of, of instability because of a change of leadership. What are we called to do? We trust and we're vigilant. We, we pray, we remember the Lord, his faithfulness and what he's done and what he will do. And we fight for one another. That's what Nehemiah said to do. And we work together in that. We put up protections against the attacks of the enemy because the, because the enemy would love nothing more than to bring about opposition that would create fear. I don't want us to miss either of these. We pray and we set up guards. We pray and we fight for each other, both. So we look at Nehemiah's journal. We've seen him. He's had faith while mourning, had faith while afraid. Lastly, he has faith while it's difficult. You know, Nehemiah had a great plan. He went before the king uh, in a bold moment, and miraculously, the king said, yes, and I kind of have to wonder if at this point, if Nehemiah was like, oh, that was the hardest part. I asked the king and he said, yes. Guess what? He said he'd provide the lumber. He'd pay for it. And he'd send a guard with me. And he has this great plan to be like, I'm going to have people work on the place right by their house. There had to be a little level of Nehemiah going, I got this now. How hard this could be? You know, how hard could this be? This will be easy. But he gets there and it's obviously far, far from easy even though he has the funding from the king, even though he has a guard, even though he has the lumber, even though he has a great plan, accomplishing God's purposes are not easy. There's always opposition. Anytime we're trying to accomplish God's purposes, difficulty will come. For him, there's oppression from the outside, uh, opposition from the outside, old Sanballat and Tobiah always messing things up, as we're going to see, we'll keep seeing in the book. There's also opposition from the inside. When they get there, there's people who, who are like, I'm sorry, I will not stoop, is what the word says. Stoop to build a wall, because I'm a nobleman. Some people would not participate. There was a sense in which there was opposition. This was not as easy as he had hoped it would be. And I can only imagine that at some points, especially when it was really hard, Nehemiah probably wondered, did God really want me to come do this? Did God really call us to, to build this wall up? Because what difficulty oftentimes does is it breeds doubt. Doubt that of what God has done or what God is doing. It breeds this doubt in the fact that God is good and that he's in control when we see the difficulty around us. And there may be difficult days ahead uh, for us, for our church family. 
Again, I think our assumption is that God wouldn't call us to something that's difficult. But yet all of us have been alive long enough to know that's not true. In fact, it is, though we wish it wasn't this way, that trials is what, how we tend to grow spiritually. It tends to bear the most fruit in us because it creates and reminds us of the level of dependency that we actually have upon God. The fruit of trial is often dependence. And so Nehemiah shows this over and over again as he trusts God in the midst of it all. He starts strong with a prayer and he boldly asks the king and has a great plan. But he also remains tenacious and perseveres in the middle uh, while there's opposition from the inside, opposition from the outside, and he keeps encouraging everyone to continue to build the wall. In fact, uh, I love what happens in chapter 2, verse 19. Uh, Notice what he says when it gets hard and Sambalat and Tobiah come against him. Uh, Verse 19, when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, servant of Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Notice what he says. He says, God will sustain us. That God is the one who's doing this because this is about him and his promises and his mission that he has called us to do. But even though they will do everything they can do to hinder the work, he says, you have no claim here. You, have, you do not have ultimate authority here in Jerusalem, he says to them. And I think this is helpful for us. As we walk through in difficulty in any element, in any stage of life, in any place, there's a recognition of of recognizing that this is difficult. Yes, this is hard. But the enemy does not have ultimate authority here. It's good to acknowledge that. And it's good to recognize that uh, when things are hard, oftentimes it is the enemy trying to confused, like Sam Ballot and Tobiah, trying to, to make things messy in order to cause there to be a doubt of what God is actually doing. But he does not have ultimate authority here. And the ultimate authority, and the ultimate trust here for Nehemiah is in what God had said he would do, that he would build up a people who would flourish in a place so that the nations around them would all know who God is. That's what Nehemiah is. He's going back to the, to the ultimate promise that God has made to the people of God at night. And so it's important for us to keep, that, to keep that perspective in all of these areas, in sadness, in fear, and in difficulty. But ultimately, what was it that kept Nehemiah going? Of course, it was his faith in God. We see it. He is one of the best models of praying without ceasing. This importance of the presence of God. He prayed and then he acted. He prayed, then he acted. It's just over and over and over again we see this. He is such a model of prayer, a model of depending upon God. But I also think it's his faith that God was accomplishing something bigger than our sadness, our fear, and our difficulty. As I said, he knew that God had called the people of God to be the kingdom of priests that they were called to be in that place. But they could not do that with the wall and the gates being decimated. They needed to build this back up so that they could be the people of God and accomplish the purposes that God had for them. He knew that the only way they could flourish is if they built the wall and built the gates so they could flourish as the people of God. And so for Nehemiah, the building of the wall was actually bigger than anything else. The purposes of God were bigger than even the sadness, even the fear, and even the difficulty. And I do believe that's what kept him going. 
And as we seek to accomplish God's mission for us as a church, there'll be sadness, there'll be fear, there'll be instability, and there'll be difficulty. Uh, there has been for the last number of years. Uh, there will be in the future. Whether we were in transition or not, those things will exist. But we trust in God who, despite all of that, wants to accomplish his mission for our church. His calling is bigger. But I, I want to remind us as we walk in these times, is something that a mentor said to me in the process as I was praying and seeking the Lord through all of this. He said, I, his prayer for me was that I would both receive the clarity of calling from God, but also that I would receive the comfort from God that comes with following out that calling. And I think for us, what we need to remember is, yes, his calling is bigger than all of that. But he's not like a drill sergeant who's like, don't feel sad, don't be afraid. You know, this is, I don't care if it's difficult. He is the God of the universe who's called us to something big. But he's also the same God who has given us the Holy Spirit that comforts us while we walk through that. That it is both his calling and his comfort that come from him. And so we pursue him for both of those things. He calls us and he's with us. And I don't want us to miss that from Nehemiah. I don't want that to miss us as we trust him in all things. Let's pray together. Father, we <clears throat> thank you for your word. We thank you that we do kind of get a little piece of Nehemiah's journal here as he reflects on, on what you did in him. Lord, I thank you for the model that he is of prayer and of activity and of being vigilant about what you wanted him to be about, accomplishing his purposes. And I thank you, Lord, that you are both, that you are both the calling, the one who calls, and you are the one who comforts. And so, Lord, um, may we see you and seek you for both of those things. And in the midst of sadness, in the midst of fear, in the midst of difficulty, may we bring all of that to you, just as we saw Nehemiah do. Lord, ultimately, we thank you that this mission and, and all that you're doing to accomplish um, here in our church and in Dallas and in each one of us is bigger. That you're doing big things and you've called us to endure and to persevere in the midst of, the, of, those bi- of that big mission that you've called us to. And Lord, I thank you that <clears throat> ultimately the, the best example of this Endurance in the midst of sadness, fear, and difficulty is our Savior, who God becoming man and becoming a bondservant, dying a death, a death on the cross was for our sake. That he endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy set before him. And so I... I pray now as we reflect and participate in communion that our hearts and our minds might be drawn towards Christ who came and, and endured all of that for us so that we might receive salvation, 
Some of you might receive what we did not deserve, but that you have graciously lavished upon us. And so, Lord, would you remind us of the salvation that is ours because of what Christ has done. And because what comes with that is, is both the comfort of the Holy Spirit in us and also the calling towards a mission that you have made for all of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.